Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Sometimes when you read through the book of Acts, you get the feeling that there's something like a jigsaw puzzle. And you read various bits of it, and then you see the bits coming together. We saw that in the account of Philip and the Ethiopian. You know, Philip was some distance away, and God told him to go and travel on a certain road. Meanwhile, the Ethiopian was travelling along this road, reading the book of Isaiah and not understanding it. And then somehow God put those two pieces of the puzzle together and something more of the picture began to emerge. As we look at the next passage in Acts today, it's easy to get that same impression. So we're going to look at the pieces as they come together. So here's the first piece. It's Acts chapter 10, starting at the beginning. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision He distinctly saw an angel of God who came and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So what can we learn from this passage? Cornelius was a centurion. He was in Caesarea. Now that was a Gentile town. He was with a regiment from Italia, as it was called in those times. But the Italian regiment. And like other centurions that we meet in the New Testament, he'd have been a man of some reputation. He would be quite well known, he'd have a good reputation, and he'd have been a Roman officer in charge of a cohort, probably anything up to 600 men. And he's described in a term, God-fearer. Now what that means is, he was showing an interest in Judaism. But he hadn't gone through the formalities to convert fully to Judaism properly. 
He hadn't been circumcised. He hadn't gone through the rituals. And in fact, in those days, you had to be baptised into Judaism. Baptism is not a New Testament thing. It's actually something that the Jews did with converts who came into Judaism. But he was obviously serious because he's described as being devout and giving generously. And I read that and I think, oh, that one day an angel would visit me and say, your prayers have come up to God as a memorial and your generosity. I mean that, what more could you hope for? Here's a God-fearer who sees an angel saying to him, God's noticed what you're doing. He's heard your prayers. But whatever the case, because he hadn't gone through the purification rituals, because he hadn't been circumcised, however serious he was, to the Jews, he was still a Gentile. He would still be unclean, and they wouldn't enter his house. But then he sees this vision of an angel. And it's obvious that he's a God-fearer, because he immediately responds. He doesn't say, oh, have I eaten something that disagrees with me? Where did those mushrooms come from? Am I having a bad day? Was that a migraine? He immediately recognises that this is a sign from God. And so he dispatches three men to go to Joppa and do precisely what was instructed. And then as we read on in chapter 10, we see that some miles away, another part of the jigsaw puzzle is coming into focus. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. That first bit's referring to these men who are travelling from Caesarea to Joppa. But just as they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice said to him, get up Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Can you see this piece of the puzzle? Now since we last met Peter in Acts, a number of things have happened. Let's just think of them for a moment. Paul has been converted. And we, when we looked at Paul's conversion, we commented that if God was going to be serious about the church being anything other than just Jewish, he had to have someone who had a focus on the Gentiles. The church has continued to grow. We read in Acts 9, 32, 
this is following the conversion of Paul, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So the church has carried on growing. Peter has been instrumental in healing a paralytic, Aeneas. And in true form, Peter sees someone healed and people are saved. It says in Acts 9.34, And all those living in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. It had a big impact on two whole communities. Peter's raised the dead. He came across a dead girl called Tabitha and he told her to get up. And she did. And it says, this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. So the signs, the wonders, the growth has all been carrying on. That didn't stop. And now Peter sees this vision of a sheep being lowered from heaven. And it's containing what for the Jews would have been both clean animals that could have been eaten and unclean. It's got a reference to reptiles. They didn't touch reptiles for food. But he is told, go on, you're hungry, kill something, eat it. His response is, surely not. But to emphasise the point, he has shown this picture three times. Now, Peter does have an unfortunate habit of coming out with totally inappropriate responses. And here, he hasn't let us down. Okay? Just to give you a few examples, in Luke 5.5, 5, when Jesus tells Peter where to throw his net to catch fish, Peter responds... Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. You can almost hear the tone in his voice. He might as well have said, look, leave the fishing to me. I'm the professional. It would just be a waste of time. We've spent all night trying. When Jesus tried to warn Peter that he would be sifted by Satan in Luke 22... Peter insists that Jesus needn't worry. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and even to death. And we all know, actually, what happened there. Even in Mark 8, when he had just declared that Jesus was the Christ, he then tries to correct Jesus' theology on the Messiah by rebuking him. It says, I find this utterly astounding. Can, can you imagine this? You're talking to Jesus, who you have just declared to be the Messiah. Okay? Jesus says to him, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned him not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and would be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed 
and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And then it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, you can't say that. You're going to upset people. I, I find, I'm incredulous. Imagine telling off the very Son of God. So getting back to Acts, here he is. He has this vision from God. But because it challenges his understanding, his response is, no God, you've got that wrong. Even when he hears it three times. What is clear is that the lesson that God has planned for him hadn't got through. As we've looked through Acts, I know I've said a number of times, the penny hasn't dropped yet. They still think this is something for the Jews. And even though Jesus gave them the great commission that said, you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the world, they still had not got that in their thinking. Here, God was trying to make it clear that although there's actually no distinction about what you eat, whether it's clean or unclean, actually the same distinction is true of who you eat it with. God wants his church to include all nations, Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean. And so he says to Peter, don't you call anything impure that God has made clean. This was referring to far more than just food. God was trying to get Peter to take a jump in his thinking from being a man of his own culture, a Jew in his thinking, to being a man of God's kingdom and thinking far wider. So now God starts to put the pieces together. And as we look at the pieces coming together, we see that that penny does start to drop. Peter starts to make the connections. It says in verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the, ma the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. 
But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. You see, that penny has dropped. So when I was sent for, I came without rising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon when suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses to everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptised with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. Now you notice, although Peter had made the connections, those who travelled with him were a little bit slower on the uptake. 
But even though he'd made the connections and could see that that vision wasn't just about food, but actually about God's salvation being extended, notice how he began his dialogue with the people. He actually asked them a question. Why have you sent for me? Now, this is the opportunistic preacher that we read about at the beginning of Acts, who, whenever he found a crowd, would preach Jesus. Yet now, in front of what is described as a large gathering, he asks a question. So even though that penny's dropped, you have to wonder, has it fully dawned on him yet that the gospel is for the Gentiles? If we look back at Luke 24, verse 46, he'd heard something from Jesus. This is something Jesus had told them. It says, he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It shouldn't have been a shock. But because Peter was looking at everything through his Jewish worldview, where Jesus had said to him, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, that got translated to say it will be preached in his name to the Jews of all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then when Cornelius explains his encounter with an angel of God, that penny fully drops. And so Peter preaches the gospel. He emphasizes the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the coming judgment, and that forgiveness of sin is available through him. Now, in Acts 2, at Pentecost, we saw a situation where the Spirit fell and empowered the preaching. In Acts 8, we saw a situation where the preaching occurred and then the Spirit came. Here, in Acts 10, actually, it says the Spirit falls during the preaching of the gospel. Peter hasn't even got to that bit about needing to repent and the spirits come because their hearts and their minds were receptive. In verse 45, just to make it sure that the message is clear, Luke refers to the fact but there are witnesses there. And he talks about them being circumcised believers. These were the men who had come from Joppa. They were Jews. The issue was that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, had fallen on uncircumcised Gentiles. These men hadn't been baptised. They hadn't been circumcised. And yet God chose to visit them. And so finally, Paul understands. 
And he says, can anyone keep these people from being baptised? They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. Jesus had already told them of that. At one point, this is what's recorded, it says, After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Listen to his response. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And what's now being said is, what applies to food, applies to people too. Inevitably, the news spread. And as we go into the beginning of the next chapter, what we hear is that the news reaches Jerusalem. It says, the apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, you went into a house of circumcised men, uncircumcised men, and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. And then we read a second narrative of the story. But he notes in verse 12 that he had witnesses with him. He was wanting to say, don't just ask me, others can testify to this as well. And we get to verse 15 and it says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. He's referring to Pentecost. So it was like Pentecost for these Gentiles. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God. Who am I to object to what God does? I mean, what better argument can there be? So there were no further objections and they praised God saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. I love that phrase. God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Finally, that message had got grounded. Peter had understood it. The believers in Jerusalem had accepted it. And they'd started to overcome their cultural prejudices. The pieces had been fitted together. They had the full picture. I just want to ask us some very simple questions today in application to this passage. But they're challenging ones. They're simple but challenging questions. Do you look down on anyone? Do you look down on anyone because of their race? Because of the way they talk? Because of their class? Because of their education? 
because of where they live. Do you think the church is going to be middle class? Because if you do, I think you have something of a disappointment. The church shouldn't be middle class. It should be represented of all people. Do you hold prejudices about who can be saved? Do you think those who live on the streets aren't worthy? Do you feel that some people need to earn the right to be part of God's family? Or are you truly happy to accept everyone God sends our way? What about those people who just don't really deserve to be saved? Do you know the ones I mean? Those living in crime. Those living in things that we wish weren't in existence out there. What about them? They don't deserve salvation. Any more than us. But the most important point, if God starts to challenge your understanding or starts doing something new in his church or amongst us, will you be like Peter and say, surely not? Or will you embrace it? If we were to have such a visitation of the Holy Spirit one morning, that we couldn't stand. Just like the priests in the Old Testament, when the glory, the Shekinah glory of God fell in the temple, and it said they couldn't stand, they couldn't maintain their duties. Will you embrace it? Or will you say, surely not God? I'm going to leave you to think about those things. Because actually... They deserve thinking about. I believe God has on his heart a church that is representative of all nations and people. Where race, class, education bear no place, no distinction. And I'd like to think we're a church that if God were to visit us and do something new, that we would embrace it. But I'll leave that for you to ponder. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.